0: about food. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
1: Europe is on its back. Now it's really impacting
2: everything.
0: Economic efficiencies, which means some more job
2: opportunities. More stable investment has been the preferred asset class. Money for nothing.
3: Good morning and welcome to Monday's Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotra Hora. Asian index futures fall as the U.S. dollar continues its surge against emerging market currencies and the euro. Premier Li says that China faces an uphill task to meet its lower growth target. Hedge funds exit gold at the fastest pace in four months as the Fed prepares to raise U.S. interest rates. And speculation mounts over the whereabouts of Russian President Putin, who has not been seen in public since March the 5th. This week in the markets, it's all about being patient. As the Federal Reserve Open Market Committee prepares to meet to discuss U.S. interest rates, we'll ask whether they'll remove the word patient from their statement. Our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood, joins us for discussion. That's before our second guest, Trippers Sam Silverman, talks about an app that makes traveling easier. Alex Wong of Ample Capital, our regular Monday co-host, is back with us. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, So, Alex, China is already suggesting that it won't meet its recently revised growth target of 7%. I mean, this is pretty alarming, isn't it, given that the target was set at the beginning of the NPC, what, just... uh, two weeks ago. Is this uh, a sign, do you think, that authorities are getting worried about the extent of the slowdown?
4: Oh, I think uh, his wording is uh, it would be difficult to reach, but it, it is not uh, unreachable. But I think uh, uh, the situation, of course, is, uh, is tough, especially right now we had a very strong U.S. dollar and the U.N.P. actually um, remains uh, uh, steady. Uh, so that means UMP uh, appreciated a lot uh, versus other currencies. So that would make uh, the Um, China manufacturing less competitive. So that means uh, we would have a tougher situation.
3: Tougher situation, indeed. And you're right, the US dollar is perhaps the strongest it has been in a long time. It surged and oil prices fell almost 5% uh, last week and U.S. stocks closed lower for the third consecutive week. WTI crude, which is the U.S. benchmark for oil, has fallen 9% on the week, its biggest weekly decline in nine weeks. The Dow closed down 145 points to 17,749, a fall of of 0.6% for the week. The S&P 500 closed down 12 points at 2,000. 2053, taking its decline for the week to just almost one percent. Meanwhile, the Nasdaq fell 21 percent, uh, excuse me, 21 points, <laughs> to close at 4,871. On Wednesday, the Federal Reserve's Open Market Committee will conclude its deliberations on U.S. interest rates. It's not expected to shift interest rates from the record low of zero to one quarter of one percent. But many in the market think that it will drop its pledge to be patient in considering the timing of an interest rate rise. This could eventually lead to the first interest, interest rate rise in nine years. And in European markets, the euro slid to a 12-year low against the U.S. dollar, falling below the crucial 1.05 support level. And European equities had a sixth straight week of gains despite pausing on Friday. A quarterly record of $35.6 billion has flowed into European equity funds so far this year on the back of the ECB's bond-buying plan. Alessio Delongis is a macro strategist at Oppenheimer Funds, and he talks about the effects of the ECB stimulus.
1: This is probably the biggest experiment we've seen, and we've seen a lot already. We've seen the Fed, we've seen the BOJ, and this is potentially even bigger because of the negative yields condition that we are already operating under, and we are already seeing the massive impact, the unprecedented depreciations that that has caused on the euro. So, how does it work in financial markets? It works by forcing private investors to buy anything because the ECB is basically buying everything under the sun and so private investors have to move further up on the risk scale. That means very good for credit, very good for long-term bonds, very good for equities, very bad for the euro because it also forces a lot of capital outflows. The single biggest um, impact in financial markets is that the reality is that the eurozone is the biggest provider of savings to the rest of the world. It has a massive current account surplus. It, as by definition, has to send a lot of capital out of the eurozone. And now the ECB is forcing that process to be even faster and more dramatic.
3: Chief market strategist at Jeffries, David Zervos, sees a similar playbook to QE in the U.S.,
2: you know, we saw the playbook for five years, right? The, the Fed was very successful at keeping the dollar weak. The dollar index was 89 in the first few weeks of March 2009. It never broke 89 until December of last year. So the dollar stayed weak for five years. And S&Ps were 700 at the beginning of QE1, and they got to 2100 recently, and they pulled back a little bit. The two easy trades in that five-year playbook were weaker currency, stronger stock market. Pretty simple, and you know we took our long-standing uh, S and P long that we've been pushing on people for a long time because of QE, um, and we didn't get to the point of whether it really works for the economy or not. We can get to that later if you'd like. But uh, we took that and we said, let's take the playbook. We know what worked it was a big experiment in the U.S. and let's just cruise across the Atlantic like we're all going to do this summer and our vacation, and uh, and take that playbook to Europe and buy stocks and sell the currency. Okay.
3: Shares on the Athens Stock Exchange dropped 3 percent and Greek bonds fell with a 10-year government bond yield uh, gaining 33 basis points to 10.78 percent. Fears over uh, Greece's finances are mounting ahead of a March 20th deadline to repay 346 million euros to the IMF. It also has to refinance 1.6 billion euros of treasury bills at the same time. There are signs that the eurozone is running out of patience over the slow pace of reform. In Greece. European Commission President Jean Claude Juncker is not satisfied with the pace of reforms.
4: Uh, I want to be helpful. The Commission wants to be helpful, but the Commission is not a major player in this because uh, all the decisions which will have to be taken will have to be taken by the uh, Eurogroup. I'm not uh, satisfied with uh, the developments in recent weeks. I don't think that we have made uh, sufficient progress, but we'll try to push in the direction of a successful conclusion of uh, the issues uh, we have uh, uh, to deal with. I am totally excluding a failure. I don't want a failure. I would like the Europeans to grow together. This is not the time for division. This is the time for coming together.
3: Marie Kiviniemi is the Deputy Secretary General of the OECD and former Prime Minister of Finland. She says that Greece must implement reforms.
0: Of course, it's difficult for every country which is in a situation like Greece is now. But uh, I'm sure, because we have done s- for many years the same thing to many countries, we have uh, designed uh, reform packages. So we are able to do it that uh, for Greece, of course. But what is a key question always is the implementation. Uh, when I think about the work what the OECD has done in recent years, we have suggested reform packages for many countries also to to Greece so we can build on that work with what we have done earlier so in that sense two months it is a short time of course but in another sense it's not and of course Greece uh, has to uh, with good cooperation also negotiate and uh, make deals uh, with uh, the troika all right let's bring in our international economics correspondent
3: Barry Wood who is on the line from Washington DC good morning Barry
5: Hello, Renita, and hello, Alex.
3: So, Barry, the Fed meets this week, and once again, there's a lot of focus on the wording of their statement. Uh, Previously, the words that the markets were were focused on were considerable time, but I think that that is gone now. Now we're looking at the word patient and whether or not the Fed will actually leave it in its statement. What do you expect?
5: Well, I think there might be a new phrase. I don't know what it might be, but uh, I don't think patience has that kind of enduring quality that some of the other words you mentioned. I was stunned, Renita, when you brought the reality of saying it's been nine years since United States interest rates went up. That's an extraordinary thing. So the question clearly is, as you suggest, when? And I don't know if we'll get any hints from Ms. Yellen on Wednesday, but I think it's very important.
3: Barry, do you think that the Fed has boxed itself into a corner as it seems to be now focused on wording, uh, you know, and the wording that it wants to use to tell the world how and when it might raise interest rates without actually doing it?
5: Well, I think they're in a bind. I think any monetary policy absent fiscal cooperation to, in fact, complement the monetary policy is a problem. And clearly, fiscal policy in the States has gone in the opposite direction of monetary policy for most of the last nine years. I was struck also, Renita, by what you had your guests say just a short time ago, that QE worked in the States to Mm -hmm. boost equity prices and hold the dollar down. By his logic, then clearly, if the dollar is high, U.S. equities are going to go down. I think all of these considerations are on Ms. Yellen's mind and on the colleagues on the FOMC, but I don't think they box themselves in. I think that we can play for more time. The U.S. economy is only growing at a 2 percent annual rate. I think no matter what happens at the press conference and with the statement on Wednesday, the U.S. is still doing pretty well. So I'm not worried.
3: You know, you're right, Barry. I mean, many people are concerned about the fact that U.S. equities uh, will go down. Given the strength of the U.S. economy, you know, some people are thinking it's already behind the curve. The question is, you know, should the Fed have raised rates already?
5: Well, yes, maybe they should. But in fact, I think the historical record, if you go back to, you know, Lehman Brothers in 2008... The Fed record is really exemplary, and I I think in retrospect they should not have raised rates. The question is, apropos now, should they be doing more at the moment? And I think that the financial markets are so wary of any change in interest rates, particularly emphasizing that nine-year figure that you just had. No wonder there's volatility when you've had Mm -hmm. a kind of set game plan QE is over. There was a panic, remember, when QE was going to end here in the States. Now there's a kind of panic that is forming as to when interest rates will rise. All of that probably doesn't bode well for U.S. interest rate, uh, Sorry, U.S. equities, given the fact that the dollar is soaring and the whole shift on QE is going towards Europe. But it's, it's a conundrum. There's no doubt about it. It makes monetary policy very difficult to do.
3: Barry, do you agree with Dave Zerkos, who says that, you know, Zervos, uh, excuse me, of Jeffries, who says that, you know, we've seen this playbook in uh, the U.S. and it's, you know, same thing's going to play out in Europe. Do you agree with that?
5: Well, I think it's quite possible. That'd be great for the Europeans. The Europeans need some good news. They need to get past this Greece thing, which has really sort of annoyed so many people. And, you know, the Greeks are caught because you can't end austerity and then also say you want to stay in the eurozone so something will have to give but it's a it's a small element which could have a big impact but yes i think that uh, equity prices in europe are likely to rise i think that weak euro is very good for tourism going into europe it's very good for their economy it gives a big boost to their exports so that's good i i don't know uh, you know you're tied to the dollar over in Hong Kong. The yuan has gone down. You know, I think you're a service economy. It doesn't bother you. I think so far the strong dollar doesn't bother us in the States. But, Renita, we haven't had a correction of 10 percent since 2011. So that's four years anyway you measure it.
0: That's right, Barry.
3: 10 uh, percent correction. Is, is that what you're expecting that much?
5: no i'm not no. i i'm not a prognosticator i'll let warren buffett do that um but i i must say i think that um we could use a correction whether it's ten percent five percent we saw some volatility this past week as you mentioned we've got weak oil prices clearly the floor that we thought we had formed has has not been a floor we've gone lower So uh, there's still a lot of volatility, but still, having been out in California and across the country, I think the U.S. economy is doing better. People are feeling more confident. They're spending. So we're not in bad shape.
3: Okay, quick question, Barry, uh, before we close the segment. What would the implications of a slowdown in the U.S. be for the world economy?
5: think it'd be bad because you haven't got much growth anywhere if you've got major in merging markets doing badly look at brazil look at the slowdown in china then look at europe and japan i mean u.s is a bright spot so if the u.s slows down that's bad news for the world economy
3: all right barry thank you so much for joining us this morning that is barry wood our international economics correspondent joining us from washington dc Let's take a quick look at the numbers for this morning. The Nikkei is up five points to 19,259. And Australia's ASX index is down 49 points to 5,738. In currencies, one euro is currently worth 1.04 US dollars. The US dollar is trading at 121 yen and one pound sterling will buy you 11 Hong Kong dollars and 46 cents. Well, in Asia, uh, Japan's uh, Nikkei stock average closed above 19,000 for the first time since April 2000. Last week it was uh, was its fifth trade uh, fifth straight winning week, bringing its year-to-date gain to over 10%. However, emerging markets had a second consecutive week of losses as the strong dollar caused turmoil in emerging market currencies. Both Korea and Thailand cut interest rates last week, causing their currencies to decline. And now pressure is increasing on China as its peg to the U.S. dollar comes under strain. Simon Cox is an investment strategist for Asia Pacific at BNY Mellon, and he gives his view on what the PBOC might do next.
5: So I think you have seen this quite... Uh, impressive strengthening of uh, the Yuan on a trade-weighted basis. Obviously it's remained stable or weakened a little against the dollar, but the dollar's been very strong. And I think that's a problem. Uh, We've seen very weak inflation figures in China. Clearly they would benefit uh, were exports to pick up a little bit. That would do the economy quite a lot of good Mm. at this juncture. Mm -hmm. So I think they won't want the the Yuan to strengthen much more and they'll probably try and keep it reasonably stable again on a trade-weighted basis, which might entail a little further weakening against the dollar.
3: Alex, the Chinese yuan is, as we know, pegged to the U.S. dollar and it's seeing its currency surge against uh, rival economies like uh, Japan, South Korea and Singapore. What effect do you think this is having on China's economy?
4: I think uh, manufacturers actually would be shifted out uh, of China and going into Southeast Asia. So that is uh, the curious thing, I think. Uh, So um, that means uh, the manufacturing sector would be affected most. (laughs)
3: Yeah. <laughs> And how much longer do you think that the PBOC can actually be patient before it starts to become more aggressive in cutting its own rates?
4: Oh, I think uh, you need to look at the US dollar and the impact on on the um, economy. So the figures are are bad, actually, despite the uh, recent cuts in interest rate. And actually, uh, we are seeing quite bad uh, figures, especially from the internal consumption side, actually, which is a little bit surprising because um, uh, imports actually should be uh, better. But I think... I think uh, uh, they probably would would do the the rate cut more aggressively.
3: When when are you expecting that?
4: I think probably uh, we would see um, two more rate cuts in the next uh, quarter, I think.
3: Wow, that's fast. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, you know, Premier Li wrapped up the NPC by telling journalists that China would keep growth within a reasonable range and maintain jobs growth, and that the authorities have the tools to do so. However, he didn't exactly elaborate on what those tools were. What do you think, Alex, that China can do if uh, growth falls below 70%? Oh,
4: not much. I think, uh, actually, uh, they they are doing infrastructure projects for quite some years already. So, their tools uh, have have, has been exposed on that i think and uh, other than that probably uh they would like to restructure the 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 uh, stay-on enterprises a little bit more and make them more efficient but i think that that process actually would take long i think
3: now alex britain has confirmed that it'll break ranks with america and become the first g7 country to join the chinese-led asian infrastructure investment bank how significant do you think that is
4: Oh, I think uh, uh, that means that uh, we would see see more projects uh, going on. So um, that is uh, something I think already on pace and that probably would mean uh, uh, it would be even quicker, I think.
2: The Government Public Transport fare Concession Scheme is being extended to green minibuses in phases from March 29th. Using a designated octopus, elderly people aged 65 or above and eligible persons with disabilities can travel on green minibuses with the Scheme logo for just $2 per trip. For details, please visit the Labour and Welfare Bureau's website.
3: Time is now 8.24 a.m. and picking up a new language could be fun. But if you travel a lot in China and if your Mandarin is like mine, it can be stressful just to get around. Our last guest this morning, Tripper Business Development Manager Sam Silverman, tells us how to make life for travelers easier. Good morning, Sam. Hey, good morning. So, Sam, uh, do tell us, what does Tripper exactly offer to travelers?
6: offers instant human power is what's going on with the app you press one single button and within 30 seconds or less you're talking to a real live human interpreter so this is one that speaks two languages so either mandarin english mandarin japanese korean thai it doesn't matter on top of that we've equipped them with the local databases of their country and these are the local databases that you need the local language to see that'll save you like a million times the amount of money on top of that this is all done through an app so there's camera gps And what this creates is this whole system where you get this multilingual personal assistant on steroids that's there for travel problems, big or small.
3: Well, that sounds pretty amazing. (laughs) Um, It it certainly sounds uh, like uh, something that all of us, all of us who, you know, travel around the region need. Now, uh, considering this is an app, uh, there are problems with connectivity from place to place. I mean, naturally there would be, right?
6: Um, Well, of course, a little bit. But we've created a platform that combines several Skype-like systems. And so with the calling, it's both GSM, like your local calling. And so if you've got a China phone number in China, that's fine to use. Or there's IP calling built in. And so if you have Wi-Fi and 3G, you can call for free at the same time. And so we've got a balanced system that can work across several different channels.
3: So, Sam, what kind of people uh, are using this app? Is it largely tourists or is it for business people? Or is it for people you know who like to be adventurous when traveling and perhaps get lost?
6: Right, And so, of course, business travelers have an easy time adopting this technology. So you have a local assistant that can do everything you want. They'll book things. They'll reserve things. They'll make recommendations on the fly. Just a quick phone call. But now, with the system we've created, it's affordable. Before, like, over-the-phone interpretation was about $3 per minute. Now with us, it's only 50 cents per minute or $1 per day. And so now the casual consumer can use it. And so everyday outbound travelers now have, like, a concierge-type service that can go with them. This works really well for China outbound travel, which is really hot right now. And they're going to places maybe that are culturally or linguistically different. And they don't want to be in groups anymore. They want to do independent travel. But there's still those times when you need a tour guide. There's still those times when you run into things where you might need a local help.
3: So this is double whammy. It's not just a translation service. It's also a concierge service.
6: Uh, Absolutely. And so translation is a little bit disingenuous. It's interpretation, so it's over the phone. So if you can't understand your cab driver now, that small problem is very fixable for a cheap price. But it's also a travel personal system. This is a local person, so if you go to Japan, you don 't know the Japanese websites that help you get you stuff you don 't know how to make a reservation with a Japanese website. These people can do this too they 've got the language skills they 've got the local know how and with our software they 've got the software in the back of their system that organizes this all into one place with a nice user history, making it a very human personal experience
3: And How many languages did you say um, you 're able to translate into? You said Mandarin, Japanese, Korean what else
6: uh, so yeah yeah so we 're based in Beijing, and so we 're starting with these Asian languages. Mandarin, English, Korean, Japanese, and Thai at the beginning, because these are the places that are most culturally and linguistically different. And then next on the docket are Spanish and French.
3: So are the translators real people or are they bots?
6: That's the point, real people. We still feel that in 2015 there's a lot of needs for human services that machines can't do quite as well yet. So Travel Help will be one of them language help, and then the next thing we'll be getting into is language education. So things that you still need humans for in 2015, we're going after it.
3: (laughs) How many people do you have on ground
0: as translators?
6: Uh, We have have up to 200 depending on the service spikes and the people's needs. So it's an adjustable system that can range between about 50 and 200.
3: Wow, that's a a lot of training. Uh, Has that aspect been a challenge?
6: Right. And so we make sure the language skills are there. You can't train that in a short amount of time. But after they pass our test for each of their respective languages, then we can train them in our software, which they're pretty familiar, and then, uh, it's in their native language, so they're familiar with it. So within two weeks time, they can be up and trained and be a working assistant. And so this makes it one of the most scalable human endeavors
3: of its type. And how accurate would you say the translation is? And, you know, especially when it comes to dealing with different accents.
6: There's always a little bit of problems there. But the, the languages are very accurate, so we test to make sure they're good. This is not specialized interpretation. This is not medical and financial and these in-depth ones yet. But this is instant, 24-7 service. Within 30 seconds, you're talking to a human, and their language skills are highly advanced. Uh, accents are not that big of a problem unless it's, a, like, um, because this is humans. And so if you try to talk to a machine with your accent and they don't understand you, like, that's the end of the line. Here we've got two humans with patience, with empathy, that can understand each other. And then there's so many clues going on with the app. We've got the GPS. We know what context they're calling in. And a human can piece these together and work together to find an optimum solution.
3: All right, Sam. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Sam Silverman, and he is a business development manager for the Tripper app. So that's one for you to look out for as you are browsing the app store on your smartphone. Let's take a quick look at the numbers. Uh, right now, the Nikkei is up 65 points to 19,319. Australia's ASX down 34 points to five thousand seven. And sold Cosby up uh, uh, three tenths of one point to 1986. Gold is currently valued at $1,154 per ounce, and Brent crude oil down uh, just slightly to $53.56. Well, Alex, it's a big week on the international front with the Fed meeting, an election in Israel, and talks resuming in Switzerland about the Iranian nuclear program. Should we expect any surprises from any of these?
4: Of course. uh, The major thing is the FOMC. Uh People would look at the wording, uh, as you have said, and I think uh, Hong Kong locally uh, would have a lot of uh, result announcement from major companies like uh, Tencent and China Mobile. So we would be in, uh, we will have a volatile week in store. And last week we had a disappointing week. I think uh, we may see some more weaknesses uh, initially, but I am not too bearish because we had been already down a lot uh, in March. So uh, probably we would find a support uh, this week. I think.
3: All right, Alex. Thank you for that and for joining us every month. Monday on Money for Nothing, that is Alex Wong. He is the Director of Asset Management at Ample Capital. And I'm Rinita Malhotra Hora, wrapping up for Money for Nothing. A quick look at the weather forecast for today. It'll be cloudy and humid with fog. One or two light rain patches at first and bright periods during the day. The temperature right now is 21 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 97%.
0: Now it's time for the half-hour news with Sam Butler. The president of the Open University says there's a need to educate young people more about the mainland, talking about the one country, two systems principle under which Hong Kong is governed. Professor Wong-Yuk-Shang says more should be done to promote the concept of one country because in the past, much emphasis has been on the two systems. He also says such education is more urgent following the pro-democracy Occupy movement.
4: It's always in need. But I think there are a lot of social leaders think that after this kind of a movement, it is more important because it looks like that uh, some students, they have a lot of misunderstanding of their country. The student in Hong Kong, they might not have the opportunity to know on a more complete picture of the whole country. And sometimes they just listen to particular media, whatever thing. They're understanding one side, but without understanding the holistic situation of the country.
0: His comments coincide with recent suggestions that new teaching recruits should go through mainland training in national education. The Red Cross in Vanuatu says it's facing major food shortages as thousands of people crowd into evacuation centres. Emergency aid and relief supplies have begun to arrive in Vanuatu after tropical cyclone Pam tore through the Pacific nation, killing at least eight